0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Atkins Family Podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Atkins, and today I'm accompanied by my lovely wife,
1: Takia Atkins.
0: And today's going to be a surprise episode. We just got on the mics and started recording, and we're going to let Takia lead the conversation. So we'll see what's, what's on her mind. You never know what you're going to get.
1: <laughs> I hope that's not a bad thing. Yeah, uh huh. Oh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> so this episode we can call this episode we'll the call. the truth
0: she, she sent me up the tr-
1: wow that's that's probably i think this is the l- what we just did was tell our whole relationship story in like a little a little oh. title
2: well she said from,
1: from our perspectives our respective perspectives Oh, huh. I set you up That's what you think That's what
2: you Okay and what
1: And then I think that The truth is What our relationship needs And should have and all that good stuff That's the way I see a relationship working well
2: Yeah I mean I, I agree
1: <clears throat> You agree? Yeah So this is what I want to talk about Oh. So Jay Z said something to Kevin Hart
0: What did Jay Z say?
1: And I didn't hear the whole thing. I just heard kind the, the of the ends. I got the gist of what he was saying. And he was referring to um, some of the struggles that he had in his marriage with his wife. And He just talked about how you know the right thing to do, but sometimes we don't know how to do the right thing. And I think um, I've been seeing a lot of stuff lately that has honestly just made me feel sorry for Men. And not in like a, I think in a in a, I think it has, it has humbled me and it's helped me understand maybe the weights that men carry that I didn't before. I think we can empathize a lot with, as a woman, I can empathize better, of course, with a woman, easier with a woman. But that's only because, number one, I, I am a woman, so I've walked through certain struggles. And number two, It's just much easier for me to validate something I can understand versus something that is foreign to me.
0: The weight of a man.
1: And my husband says that like all the time. And honestly, I don't even think he's touched the weight of a man yet, but um, I can see how choosing as a man, making a decision to be monogamous and committed to your family can be uh, a a lot more difficult than it is when a woman makes that decision.
0: And why do you think that is?
1: I think because when you really look at it, women are raised, most women are raised prepared to start a family whether it be because they are raised in an environment where everybody's having kids around them and so they just start taking care of other people's kids or um, if they are in their mind planning to be married and planning to be a mother one day, they're already kind of formulating their plan as to how and why they're going to do things. Whereas with men, I think right out the gate, I mean, who's preparing y'all to be married?
0: I think it depends on the upbringing. I would say most of the men that I... uh... I've grown up with, and I'm not talking about people that were older than me. I'm talking about my contemporaries, like people my age. I don't think any of us were prepared to be married. I know one of my friends, he lived with his mom and his stepdad. But the rest, oh, no. And then we have, I have well, actually, nope. I have one friend whose parents have been married his entire life, and they're still married to this day. So he probably is the only one. But, and he's also the oldest out of all his siblings. So he probably has got some good preparation in that sense. Because he's seen it his entire life. Like, one man, one woman, household, family, kids, man work, woman work. He's seen that his entire life. So maybe he's had that preparation, but I've never spoken with him on a, I've never spoken with him about things of that nature, so... I wouldn't know, but on the outside looking in, I would say he's probably had the best situation out of all of us. The rest of us, either were raised by step-parent and biological parent, or in my perspective, I had both of my parents in my life, but they weren't in the same household, so I bounced back and forth from home to home until I finally just settled with my mother for the, my teenage years.
2: But yeah, no, I can't. It
0: wasn't until I got in the military and I got around other people that I saw strong family units.
1: Yeah. And I think even I'm starting to realize, like, or recognize, I'm not going to say realize, recognize my skin color more. So, our skin color. Um, it's just crazy to me how.
0: I'm not black, I'm OJ.
1: Okay. It is insane to me how many of us don't know what that feels like. Uh, And um, just how difficult it can be um, to keep that train going. It's not as as easy as it looks, Um, especially for men, I feel like, uh, particularly in the way that even if they are raised in the church, I don't think, so So here's the big thing. I don't think men are taught to talk. And I don't mean like, talk about like, okay. Like I think, talk about anything beneath the surface. And and I think that can be a hindrance to um, you if you decide to get married and if you decide to parent children.
2: I could definitely... I can
0: definitely see why uh, people would think that. Well, from my perspective, I grew up with a father who was more than willing to talk and actually talked to me a lot. And he would talk about a lot of stuff that was, per se, beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. And in my case, I still don't, I still didn't grow a liking to talking. My dad would talk to me hours on end and try to get me to talk back to him. And I would sit (laughs) there and, you know, I just say just enough to get through the conversation. I think a lot of that had to do with just the age gap. It was just harder to talk to an older uh man, but even then, even if he was younger, I don't think I would have been just really receptive to having those type of conversations. But I grew up in a household that was that encouraged me to talk. My mom was the same exact way. She would try to pull stuff out of me and it just I guess it didn't go the way that they would like. So I don't know how uh I know I can't be the only person that grew up in a situation like that.
2: No, so sure. I don't.
0: I don't know exactly where that disconnect comes from specifically, but I just never was I one do. of those people. uh Oh.
1: <laughs> but we'll leave that for another. Oh, okay. Another an, another discussion. Um, but but okay. So people try to pull stuff out of you. They couldn't get nothing. Your dad was uh, somebody that talked to you. Here's the thing. I don't mean, because I think a lot of times we see stuff. I think that there's a huge difference between like seeing something and actually being taught how to do something. Um, We were sitting around with um, our old pastor uh, and we were at their house and the um, executive pastor was talking about how she explains to her son like, different emotions, starting to give them names and to explain them in a way that he can communicate to others what he's feeling and also understand what he is feeling. I think those types of conversations are missed because a lot of us don't know how to do that. A lot of us aren't self-aware enough to even, <clears throat> or I'll say this <coughs> because I think we we both are um, blessed to have parents that are self-aware and explain to us what the choices they made and all that. It's transparent. They're transparent. Um, But even that sometimes without, when it comes too late, maybe, I think. I think our parents may, um, may have realized a lot of stuff after we were already, like, grown and gone. And it's one thing as an adult to your parent who is also an adult to have those conversations and try to unpack certain things, but it's still a process of unpacking because you've already kind of taught me the wrong way. And um, no fault of your own. I mean, I don't necessarily blame them for the mistakes that they made. It's, it's, it's based off the knowledge that they had at that time. Um, but it's still stuff you got to unpack.
2: Yeah, I could,
0: I could definitely see that. I think that's the, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. so I think that's the case with a lot of situations. Oh, yeah. Once, you, once people grow up, once you mm-hmm. get past a certain point, you can always look back and see exactly what you did right and what you did wrong. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things about generational progression. Yeah. Like I said, like, I'm a big proponent of, you know, generational progress and change doesn't happen in one generation. Each generation builds off the foundation that the prior generation laid and it's incremental changes that are implemented, you know, step by step from generation to generation, that ultimately produces long lasting results. Yeah. When you try to fix everything that your parents did, you post likely ultimately end up fixing nothing and you stay stagnant. But when you choose a lot when you choose to repeat the good stuff and then try to change one or two bad things that they did that's something that you can actually focus on and really instill in your children because you can't do everything you're going to miss something oh yeah. and i think that's i think that's a a part that a lot of people tend to gloss over that that concerted effort to instill you know a few key things in your children instead of trying to put everything in one you don't know everything but two you're (laughs) a limited being with only so much time. So if you instill the foundational principles, I think everything else will work itself out sooner or later.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for me, my mom gave me, and I, and I say this a lot to myself. I don't know if I've ever said it out loud. My mom gave me the greatest gift uh, I think any parent can give a child, and that was to see her relationship with God play out in real time. But to also see her consistency and going back to God no matter what a situation looked like. And so, if I didn't take anything else from what I learned growing up, is that, and it has influenced a lot of my decisions, all of my decisions. um, And I believe it's kept me out of some stuff um, as well. It didn't keep me from making mistakes um, because we are all imperfect. It took me a while to realize. <laughs> that um,
0: man, coughing on the mic.
1: I, I did not. I dang, they have to know that.
0: They literally heard
1: it. Yeah, but they, they, I, boy, I tell you. Anyway,
2: <laughs> back to, y'all. that
1: ain't embarrassed. Back to the point is <laughs> is that Jay Z. So basically, I think um one of one of the biggest things because he was addressing how. Um, he knew the right thing to do was to be faithful, but he had so many issues with being faithful. And I've seen a lot of different, uh, men coming out with, um, all of these different things, men and women, um, but mainly men, especially men in the church who are falling in the area of lust. And it just seems like there's not enough conversation around what that particular experiences like specifically for men and the ways that a lot of men try to handle that and they do it in the same way but nobody talks about it because there's there's so much um, there's so much shame associated with any sexual sin uh, period Uh, but when you have I think the world we live in right now it's just way more access to way more things that are not uh, productive for men. And I think that's not acknowledged enough either. I'll say this. How were you prepared for that fight? Or were you? was that even a conversation about how that was going to be a fight? Do you think that that uh, is, is a conversation that you need to have with your son, like, what does that look like now that you're married and you understand certain things?
0: Oh, yeah, that a conversation needs to be had explicitly and I think early. I like uh, what Pastor Tim Ross said. He said he had that birds and bees conversation with his kids and he had it explicit and he had it early. And it's an ongoing conversation. Uh, he was <laughs> like, uh, I think he even went as far as to say, like, yeah, like, I do that to your mom. And yeah, you we do that. this ongoing. This is not, this is not like a one-off thing. <laughs> but some people may be like, "Oh, why would you?" And I would say, coming up, I'm gonna tell you they're going to get that information from somewhere. Somewhere. That is going to happen, regardless whether you like it or not. There is no way in today's age to shield your child from that information. But there is a way to direct your child and mm-hmm. inform them in the proper way. I don't know how it was back in the day, but I'm going to tell you, even when I was coming up just 10, 15 years ago, it was a a plethora of information that Mm -hmm. children had access to. And in today's age, that
1: that information
0: is only going to become easily accessible to the furthest furthest extent. We live in the information age. So at this point, if you are a parent who believes who believes that you can just shield your child and protect your child and keep their innocence in today's age? I believe you are sadly mistaken. <laughs> and you're only doing your child a disservice.
1: You're fooling yourself.
0: Exactly. You're fooling yourself. Yeah. So you need to have these conversations open and upfront and direct and have a biblical perspective on it before your friends, your children's friends, get yeah. a hold of them.
1: Because I teach uh, two year olds. And so we had a water day, um, changing their clothes, and this little boy walks up to me and he says, do you like my, um, p- my polish? I have glitter on my feet. And, of course, that starts a conversation because um, now everybody's around him wanting to know what's on his feet, including the boys. And now, now you got boys walking around the classroom saying, I want glitter on my feet. So that early... You could start having conversations about just identity and sexuality, because exactly. it's it's everywhere. I we went to the zoo last weekend, it was a little boy. That little boy can't even. He looked like he just got in elementary school. His hair was pink.
2: Oh, I don't even remember
0: that boy.
1: Yeah, we was looking at the uh, orangutans. And 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 listen. I'm not judging you on how you raise your kids. How you raise your kids is that's your child.
0: Now I'll judge you in a certain sense.
1: Well, of course we know. I understand what's right and what's wrong. Is what I'm saying. Um, but I can't. I can't hold you to a standard that you. I don't know that you've accepted. Now, if you're a Christian, then that's a. You. He gonna judge you. I'm gonna pray for you and, and we'll hope pray that for you and judge you. Um, get your life together and stop giving your kids stuff they don't need. I hate. can't, I
0: can't, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, condemn you. Well, I mean, I only, yeah. only, Only God can do that. I could judge you.
1: Well, I, I guess that, so the point I'm trying to make is <laughs> you need to be having these conversations. And, and and the only reason why I say I would, I, I think it's unfair, especially for men, is because of order, because of their position in the household. And I think, um lust is one of the biggest ways the enemy tends to knock men out of their position and when you think about lust you might just think about sex it can be lust I think for men it's, it's the lust of seeking comfort because lust is just a desire it's that I'm trying to get something I'm enticed by something I think men are enticed by comfort and um, I mean sex if, we, if we're being real it's, that's, a, that's a place of comfort. But, but, but that's not the only place and that's why I say it's, it's a place of comfort because let's just say a man a young boy because it starts early at, at eight gets his hands on some drugs. If that's what he learns as comfort that's the place he's more than likely going to be running back to for the rest of his life. Whatever that man learns or finds that brings him comfort, video games, that's more than likely where he's going to be stuck for the rest of his life unless he gets challenged and doesn't walk away from that challenge.
0: Look, I know uh, a wise man once told me, everybody's pushing something. Everybody's influencing culture and the people around them in a certain way, whether consciously Or subconsciously, they're trying to influence the behavior of others around them. How are you trying to influence the behavior of your children? Because somebody is influencing their behavior in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So at the end of the day, because I always hear it from Christians specifically Mm -hmm. about today's age, what's going on in today's world, X, Y, and Z.
1: First of all, don't say that around me. I'm going to fry you up. You sound ridiculous.
0: Uh, I was, excuse me, I was going, I was going to say something in in that way. That's a much nicer way of saying it. But. No, it's not. Ultimately.
1: Y'all say it too much.
0: What I was going to say is all of this stuff has already existed. Nothing is new under the sun. Gosh. It's just the amount of exposure that is getting today is greater because of the advent of the internet and the ability for humans to communicate with each other even from two three four five thousand miles away from each other is greatly improved compared to yesteryear so with that said i think the ability for people to live with their heads under a rock (laughs) is greatly diminished (laughs) so the world isn't i don't believe the world is any different than it was 15,000, 10,000, no. 2,000 years ago. As far as the sin factor, the only thing that has changed is the ability
1: to share your sin.
0: To share that sin factor. One man once said that the internet was the worst invention for Negroes. <laughs> because we, <laughs> people have been doing this crazy stuff. Forever. Forever. Black folk, white folk, yellow folk, red folk. Yeah. Bluefish, goldfish.
1: It's all Every, been out there. All
0: of this has been out there. It's just now a, a platform, a forum for people to put this out on public display. And that is the greatest change. It's so like I said previously, everybody is being, being influenced by something. Yeah. For the adults, you know, what exactly is Man, influencing you? Let me tell you something. Who are you listening to? Social
1: media is not the same for me anymore. And I was telling my husband that, like, I used to think social media was just a bad place for men because there was just all this naked woman and all this stuff. It's just a bad place for anybody who is trying to be monogamous because the stuff that's up there now is ridiculous. And it just be like random people, like the, I guess the random, um, at least on my timeline, it'd be the randomest people sharing stuff that's like, wow, I didn't even know you thought like that.
0: It's provocative.
1: <laughs> no,
0: we got. We live in a day. We live in an age of clout chasing. You know, everybody want to be famous. Everybody want to have some sort of following. Social media has blurred the lines between reality and actuality. Mm. And now you got a generation of people growing up in a time where information is easily accessible. But not only is True information easily accessible, either skewed information or flat out lies are more easily spread. Oh uh, yeah. And that is the product of social media. Because I would
1: now say, yo, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Because now people can get online and put on a front, a snapshot. Yeah. People can give you the highlights of what their life is like yeah. or the lowlights. People can also put their issues on social media things of that nature. So it can make this world seem not way worse than what it is. It can make issues issues that were previously kept under wraps or just only discussed with um, close personal friends are now discussed on the internet and put on display for the world to see. So once again, everybody's being influenced by something. What exactly are you listening to? And this goes the same for your children. Your children are definitely being influenced by their friends and the culture around them at the most impressionable stage of their lives and there are a group of people who believe they can shield their children from all the information that is accessed or that is accessible to the general public and that simply is not true so you have to make sure that you are the strongest person or the strongest voice in your child's ear well, I'm not saying this is a simple task. I am saying this is a task that all parents must and are called to uh, take on, at the very least. Try your hardest.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a parent conversation as much as it is. Parents can only go as far as what they are disciplined in. Um, I can't teach you to, I can't effectively, I mean, I can fake the phone but I can't effectively teach you to do something that I don't know how to do. And I think that was one of the biggest things that motivated me to change in a lot of ways for Aubrey because I was starting to really see like, okay, you. Yeah. another thing that I realized from my mom is I do half the stuff she said as much as I do probably over 90% of the stuff she I actually saw her do. So the stuff she did, um, I mean, down to the T. And so one of the biggest things that I think uh, even caused somebody like Jay-Z to have like a, an awakening, and he speaks about it on one of his albums, is the birth of his child. So children are, um, I think, in a, I think children awaken a lot of stuff for people, whether they are willing to admit it or not. Um, from the moment they are born, I think parents are changed. Um, and I think for someone who is not able to fulfill the duty of being a parent, for whatever reason, I think they are changed for the worst, especially after that first child is born, and they've either made a decision to not be in that child's life because of some prior hurt or something like that. um all that guilt and that shame that's associated with that becomes overwhelming, and so they just stop. But I think for me. It was one of those things where it was like, okay, I want to be the greatest I can for Aubrey and I'm going to show her how to do that. But then I started to think about, well, no, what am I actually going to show her? Because I can talk and I can talk real good, but she's going to see me every day. And so what I'm saying is not going to matter as much as how I'm living
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, your children ultimately are going to follow more of what you do rather than what you say. If there is a certain standard that is put upon the household and both leaders of the household are actually acting out that standard to its fullest extent, that is more likely to resonate with children other than rather than do, uh, rather than doing something that you say I do, but they never see you actually do it. You know the oath. Phraseology that says, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's dumb. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) But people actually thought that worked. I want y'all to know it didn't.
0: I mean, we don't practice that when it comes to raising our children in church, raising our children in Christ. You want a child that goes to church? Well, most children who go to church grew up in church. Not most children go to church who their parents said, yeah, go to church when you grow up.
1: Yeah, oh, well, that's
0: true. That's not usually how that works. Yeah. So that's a prime example of do as I do. Not necessarily do as I say.
1: Yeah.
0: You raise a child up as they should go. So there's certain situations where it's like, unless you're encountered with those circumstances, of course, you won't be able to demonstrate the proper procedures and behavior that you should display. But for most things parents are able to actually show the child along with telling the child this is how you should behave in these circumstances and then ultimately you raise a child up as they should go and when they're in their older years they want to part right so that's another big thing right let's not just talk to our children about proper behavior let's show that behavior mm-hmm. when i listen to young men speak about how their fathers behaved in the household or how their fathers raised them they usually almost always reference the behavior that was displayed Mm -hmm. less so the the uh speech and the principles that were just told to them ultimately if you're not doing it why would i do it even i was a victim of this uh, or not a victim, but a product of this. I've spoken to my mothers on many occasions on why certain decisions that I made may have been made that way. And I always referenced back to her lifestyle. Yeah. How she came up. I'm like, well, if you did X, Y, and Z, and you're doing all right now, I have no plans to do exactly what you did. But I know, you know, you started, you know, behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. If I just stay with the eight ball, I'm good, right? so things, things of that nature my father right my father always worked like even to this day he still, he still works 70 plus years old he still works as much as he can i think it's one thing that keeps him young keeps him young but another thing is just he works so me i'm going to work Like i didn't grow up in a household where and then my father also told me like hey man a man got to work man ought to work Man, got to provide for his family. You got to take care of your family. And this is one of the things that he did to the best of his ability. He worked, tried to provide for me, because at that time he didn't, uh, he didn't have a family to take care of, but he was responsible for me. So he worked and tried to provide for me as best as he could. So that's something that I automatically just was going to do. There was no questions about it. That's just something that's instilled in me, not just because somebody said do it, but because that's what I saw that's what I was truly raised to do.
1: Exactly. And I think <clears throat> switching gears a little bit to the, to the point of understanding that I can't just a little bit we can we can we, we can't necessarily do any better than what we show Aubrey and so that has shifted gears a lot for me even as it relates to our marriage because one thing that I realized that was huge as a married couple was that we're not gonna go any further than where we are willing to heal. And I honestly, before I got married, I did not know that was a part of the package. I kind of just thought, you know, we love each other. That's gonna solve everything. Like he liked me and I like him, and I know he liked me because this is, like he stood up there and he married me in front of everybody <laughs> and but then I got married and I realized like love all that none of that is necessarily enough how do I know it's, it's not enough because God loves me and it's still not enough to keep me from sinning and so as a human being acknowledging that about myself means I also need to acknowledge that about my spouse
0: yeah, that's true. Uh, <clears throat> marriage is like a mirror. It's going to expose all your flaws.
1: All the time. Marriage
0: is like when you, fret, when you first wake up, you woke up like this and you look in the mirror. That's what it's like.
2: Ooh, and that's a good
0: one. You can choose to work on the imperfections that you see in the mirror, or you Not. can choose to ignore them and ultimately lead your marriage to a road of disaster.
1: <laughs>
0: the choice is yours. Yeah.
1: And I think, I, and I wanted to reference this too because um, I meant to tell you this. Somebody had put something on a group I'm in on Facebook, and and the woman was like, "Look, I'm about to get a divorce." She was like, "This has been the worst year of my life. I've been married for a year," and um, she was like, "I mean, does it get better?" And I smiled when I read it because I was like, "Yo, you sound like me." Like after the first year of my marriage, I was like, "This is," I said the same thing, like, "This for the birds." Like this is not. This is stupid.
0: Statistically, when you, statistically, <laughs> marriages end usually within the first five years. After the first five years, the divorce rates go down significantly. Yeah. And it's a correlation between length of marriage and divorce rate. The longer you stay married, the more likely you are to stay married. Well, if yeah. that makes sense. And that, that well, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's due to a multitude of factors.
1: Well, I hope I, what I'm going to say is I think, for me, it's become the good side and not the bad. Because right. I think one of the things that was keeping me in the marriage, number one, was making sure that I upheld to the best of my ability what I signed up for. And what I signed up for was clear. So death do his part. Unless, of course, you cheat. And then I can make a decision about whether I would like to continue that or not. Um, but that's very clear to me. And so we went through a lot, but none of it hit that right there. And so I wanted someone else to make it very clear to me what my options were. Um, And I think I got a lot of, um, I got the clarity I needed, but I think there was also a piece of me that understood um, what I might have to do if things didn't get better just for the sake of health because I hear a lot of people say you know I'm not telling you to divorce but I am telling you to separate um and I think when conditions are where neither one of you can be healthy in that environment then that's something you need to consider especially when you got a kid um that's not our story and I said that to say, it is only because of God that I think it's not our story. Because on days where there was absolutely nothing left, there was always God. And there was always, I, I believe for the both of us, our commitment to Him. And um, trying to find ways. And I think, for the, like the first, I think for the first couple of years of marriage, you're trying to find ways to commit to your partner without losing yourself. And most marriages die when they they realize, I cannot do this without losing myself. Mm. And then they choose themselves. And they just go and either divorce you and find somebody else because they're like convinced this is not what marriage is. Like marriage can't be, I got to lose myself in order for this to work. So they go find somebody else and do the same thing all over again. And then they have to make that same decision.
0: How do you expect not to lose yourself when the Bible says to become one? I don't think people really understand the true weight of that statement.
1: We didn't understand it. I mean, it was so, I think the enemy got us so good in the beginning with that right there. How do we become one? Because it's not just Ben anymore, and it's not just takia It's it's about what's best for both of us in everything we do. And I think in, in, in our little subtle ways, if we were both fighting the changes that we would have to make in order for us to become one. That pride was literally killing our marriage.
2: Mm. And so
1: here's the thing, it doesn't work until you both surrender. If you only got one person that surrendered, then what you, what, you, what you essentially have is somebody who just getting beat up on. And a person can only last so long mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually healthy like that. And there's a lot of people who are walking around and because they're the only one in their marriage to surrender, they just getting beat up on, and they live in like they've learned to live like that. It takes two, but when you both surrender, it's like okay moments, and I think we we've been saying that a lot lately, where it's like yeah, if this had been like even probably like three months ago, that would have went a, a whole nother way, mm-hmm. and it's and it has nothing to do with. I think a lot of people get, mis mixed up because it's like oh it's it's our love for each other that's keeping us and that's that's helping us to do the right thing in those moments if you don't love yourself if you don't understand who god says you are it don't matter how much you think you love the person next to you you gonna act a fool every time something happened because you are not secure in who you are Now, I guess, and and I think that's really, really strong for me. Now when my husband does something that I feel like is offensive to me, I just, the first thing I'll try to do is figure out why I found it offensive. Because some stuff, once I really like sit with it, it's like that was dumb. That was just in the moment. But when I find out like, okay, that wasn't dumb. I have found ways to voice what I need to voice, say what I need to say and move on. And I no longer carry the weight of, and I think this is what I was doing before. If he didn't change, if he didn't become what I needed him to be, that was a sign of my worth and value because he's the closest person to me. If he can't see how valuable I am and he sees me every day, if he can't, you know, and, and when I mean see me every day, I mean, he's probably seen me cry more than anybody, including my mama, in my entire life. If those tears mean absolutely nothing to him, then I mean nothing. That's literally what I used to think. Now I realize that that ain't got, that ain't got nothing to do with me.
0: Yeah, uh, that's nothing that <laughs> we can instill in our children, having that strong foundation in christ right that self-worth not the the world's sense of self-worth yeah. and self-identity but christ's sense of our worth and our identity and if we just put on that identi- identity that christ has given us which is ultimately what i believe takia is alluding to yeah then it can make marriage a whole lot easier that goes of course for the husband and the wife
1: yeah because you you understand grace more i think for yep. me, anyway.
0: Yep, you understand grace more. I think also when it comes to what you were talking about as far as if I did something to you that, you, that offended you or you felt disrespected by, you would wrap your self-worth in
1: the, oh, yeah.
0: the veil of my actions.
1: <laughs>
0: and that should not be the case.
1: No, not at all. But you can't. And I think, here's the thing. I didn't realize how much I had been affected by this princess... Disney culture where, you know, the man changes because she's the princess or because she's the one. The man does this because of her worth and her value. And if he don't, then that means you're worthless. Especially, I think, for me, um, already having that narrative with my father um, in the situation of him, you know, choosing his addiction over being a parent to me. Um, I struggled with worth and value. Um, and then I think it, it really started when I, when I realized, when I became a parent and realized the decisions my father made had absolutely nothing to do with me because there were pains that preceded me. Um, and it's the same thing with Aubrey. I had to realize that for myself. Uh, if I decide to do things that would harm her, it has nothing to do with her and when I say harm her I don't mean like physically I mean like if I'm doing something like modeling a behavior that is uh not something that'll be productive in her life it doesn't have anything to do with her and it's not me um choosing other things over her in the sense that she is worthless but in the sense that I don't know my value I don't know my worth and so no longer putting um or accepting uh other people's issues as your own that self-reflection is key
0: but looking looking within first to try to solve the problem is usually usually the solution that's going to give you the most effective results now of course we can't control what other people do but no. we can always control how we respond to a situation instead yeah. of react to a situation i think that's another key attribute that we can instill in our children and making sure they understand how to properly respond to adversity, disrespect, Mm. admiration too, because you don't want somebody to get a, a head that's too big. All of these things come into play when it comes to building, you know, strong, productive Christians and human beings, productive members of society and people that ultimately, you know, I would desire for my children to get married and grow families also of course within god's will because you know everybody isn't supposed to be married but if yeah. that is something that they are called to marriage is a very uh honorable thing it is good in the sight of the lord and that is something that we will be preparing aubrey for with our actions and what we tell her right and of course we want to show her more than anything exactly how to do this thing we call marriage
1: yeah and I think uh, for me I kind of had this fairy tale we'll never argue in front of her we'll never blah 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 and I I think for me what I've realized is if I say we'll, we'll never argue in front of her it's only because I'm ashamed of how we argue now certain conversations you don't need to have in front of your kids but I think a lot of times kids don't know how to do things because they never saw it. They don't know what's off limits. They don't know what should and shouldn't take place because they never saw it actually happen for themselves. If you try to paint the picture for your child, like marriage is a walk in the park, they're going to walk into marriage think it's, thinking it's a walk in the park and that it is not. Like, and... In, in, Even to the point of saying, I want you to be married just so you can have a family. I know we would never say that. But if that's what you're selling them on, um, that might be a a bad sale.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, it comes down to building everything you do, right? Especially relationships on a proper foundation. Making sure that it's built on the rock of Jesus Christ and not on the uh, sand of world ideologies and philosophy because at the end of the day there's only there's only one thing that's going to truly sustain you and all the troubles that you'll have in life and that's that's christ that's the bible that's god a lot of people don't believe that but this is what we believe and this is what we know to be true and that is exactly what we're going to pass down and instill in our children one of those things that we know like hey we're going to focus on this to make sure we have you know productive uh high functioning members of society coming out of our household.
1: Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things that uh I don't I don't even think as I look at Aubrey and just see how much of us are already seeing her I don't even think it's going to be possible for her to be an unproductive member of society. Um but yeah, I mean, having having that example is, is a big part of it, and so that is another reason why I started to just be grateful for where I am because a lot of uh, a lot of black women don't get that. Don't get what? As far as having a man in the house who is also a part of their story consistently. So having you as her father, that in itself is a, a piece of healing, as, as we were talking about uh, generational, just the little things that you can do along the way generationally to affect change.
0: Yeah, incremental changes. My grandfather grew up without a father. My dad, he knew who his dad was. His dad wasn't actively involved in his life. He also had a stepfather. And then for me, my dad was actively involved in my life, even though we weren't part of a two-parent household. And then for Aubrey, prayerfully, and this is what Taki and I are pursuing, um, we're both going to be active parts of her life. Not only will we be active, but she will grow up in a two-parent household. And right. that is the sign of progression throughout the generations. Yeah, and I, it yeah. came with incremental changes.
1: Yeah, and, and but even still, like I think also the forces behind a lot of the the privileges that we have have a lot to do with our mothers and the strength that they had uh, to get us kind of where we were and to continue to be uh Pillars in our lives, family is important, and parenting does not stop when a child is eighteen.
0: No, it continues. It just goes from a orders and commanding role to an advisory role. Yeah. And hopefully, when you had that full control over your child and was able to imprint whatever you wanted to imprint on their psyche, that that continues out through their adulthood, uh, to through adulthood, and you still have their ear. If you did what you were supposed to do when they were a child, while well, it may not always happen that way, as a general rule of thumb, that is exactly how it will work, and that is yeah. something that we expect to happen with Aubrey.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah.
0: Sure, I think we kind of veered from the original topic, but yeah, hopefully the conversation was productive.
1: Oh, yeah, it was productive. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you we got anything to add? No. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys know the outro. I am your host, Benjamin Atkins, and I was accompanied by my lovely wife, Takiya Atkins. And this was the Atkins Family Podcast. We'll see you next time, folks.